We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rob Dawson here. I got Jeff Goodman with me. Hell no. John Fink. Are we still live? Build a 68 till I die. I'm sorry, man. I blacked out. Randolph children. DJ Khaled, you know the big DJ Khaled guy? Hands grow up and in. Goodman needs to be fired all the time. Josh Pastor. You're going to beat people straight up. You know the deal. Drink responsibly tonight. I'll be drinking with you. Terrell McNeil. From the bluest of the blue bloods to the smallest of the mid majors. This is Field of 68. After dark. Hello and welcome to the Thursday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Docker. I have Jeff Goodman with me. I have Josh Pastner with me, and we have a lot to get to tonight, folks. We're going to break down this uh, three-overtime thriller that Arizona just won at Utah, one of the most exciting and entertaining games I've seen this season. It was a 16-point lead for Arizona at halftime, and it ended up going to triple overtime. Utah plus five and a half. Died a cold, hard death. That was not fun. Uh, and FAU is now taking a lead on UAB on the road. It is 65-64 with under two minutes left. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into the Memphis conversation. We're going to do all that here in a bit. We have Rocco Miller coming on to help answer some bracketing questions that we have. And we're also going to be hearing from James Jones, and we're going to discuss some of the best mid-majors in college basketball. But before we do, I, I talked about it at the top, guys. Arizona goes on the road. 105-99, triple overtime. Uh, they get 27 points from Pella Larson. Josh, what can you take away from, from a win like this? You know, I, I feel like Tommy hey, hey Josh, has some- Josh, he doesn't even understand who he's got on the show. He hasn't even made mention that he has two Arizona alums. Now, I don't know if you got your degree, Josh, but uh, it took me about six years to get mine. It took me two and a half years, and then just for my bachelor's, <laughs> and then one year for my master's. So, uh, <laughs> well, you, while you were still at the parties, I had already graduated, you know, so, uh, uh, no, but, 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 you know, Rob, um, first, first of all, thanks for both of you guys having me on. Um, what I would tell you about this win for Arizona, I think it's a great sign to win a game like this. Um, number one, and people get in college basketball, especially in college basketball, where every game gets so magnified and it matters, you know, in the NBA, there's 82 games. You know, there's a lot of discussion about is it too many games, but they play 82 games. You know, Rob, Jeff, you guys could they could an NBA team can lose five, six, seven in a row and still make the playoffs because it, you know you do that in college basketball, your season could be over where you're you, you're going to have to win the conference tournament to to play in the NCAA tournament. I say all that to say that just every game is so important, whether it's in no, early November or the beginning of February, and for tonight. At this part of the year, for what Utah's playing for, obviously Arizona's fighting for a, a, a one seed. Utah's trying to be in the tournament, and it's at the you know it's at Utah where it's a hard place to play. Any road game, any time you have to go on the road to try to win just a game, period. But you you times that by twenty when it's a road game in a school like Arizona where you're getting everyone's best shot. You know they're coming in a top ten team. Everyone's gunning for them, and for them to find a way to win this game. They had a lead. It was back and forth. Um, Utah played zone. You know, teams, you know, they, Oregon State beat Arizona a couple weeks ago. Part of it, Oregon State played some zone, and Arizona got a lead, then kind of let their foot off the gas. But with, when Utah went zone against Arizona, there were some ups and downs, but they handled They made some shots. They did a great job cutting to the basket. They found the open man. And I would tell you, and I'm not just saying this, I, I, I think Tommy Lloyd – 
has done about as good of a job. You look in a, in a first two and a half. The only thing he hasn't done is really get to the final four, basically. And 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 Mark Few, who is I love Mark Few, one of the great guys in the business. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame, hands down. The only thing I'm missing on his resume is a national title. But the facts are, you look since Tommy's left, which is a credit to Tommy, is my point. Gonzaga's, you know, it hasn't. They they haven't been dominating. Arizona's been dominating. So you look at how much Tommy's been part of that. Whether that's been the part of Gonzaga again, Coach Few deserves all the credit. But I'm just saying, when you lose guys like that, you see it happen in football too. And then Tommy coming to Arizona and the job that he's done there, the credit that he deserves. Um, you know, it's why he's you know one of the the you know the the, the very best future coaches and, and for what he's done to this point, it's it's really remarkable and another great win for Arizona. So Rob, I think it's a big time win. I think it's a it's a character win for them and a toughness win and credit to Arizona for that. Yeah, Jeff, Utah is a top 40 team um, in most of the metrics. And uh, it, this would have been a very easy one after blowing a 16 point halftime lead to just kind of let it slip through your fingers. Um, but that's not what happened. Uh, Caleb Love missed a shot at the end of the first overtime and the end of the second overtime that would have won the game. But he ended up hitting the biggest three of the day that kind of got the lead to six with about two minutes left in the third overtime. Where do you stand on Arizona? Because I go back and forth on them. When you watch them and they're good, they look as good as anybody in college basketball. Then you see them go on the road in league play and they can lay some eggs there, but it's also on the road in league play. So um, just kind of let's, let's go to like a 35,000 foot view on your alma mater. So I think they can get bored in the Pac-12. You know, we've seen them at Duke look terrific in a really tough environment. We saw them look very good against Purdue in a road game, even though it was Indianapolis. So they've played well when the stakes have been at their highest. But again, it's hard right now. The Pac-12 stinks. They don't have a lot of really good teams. They don't have a lot of teams with resumes that they're, they're excited to play against. Now, again, you can fault them for that and say, like, they should be able to get up for every game. But... They're college kids. You know, this was a big game for them. They got out to an, an early lead, a big lead, and then they took their foot off the gas. So I think there is something to be said about for this team being a little bit more self-motivated, being a little bit more mature. Uh, but ultimately, they've got the pieces to still go to a Final Four. You know, to me, it's it's Caleb Love. It's as far as he's going to take him, right? Just like Carolina a few years ago. He can make, like we saw in this game, Rob, he was Carolina Caleb for a lot of it, right? Like that that play at the end of the the first overtime or the second overtime, whichever it was, where where basically he didn't he didn't find the open man. He took a terrible shot, but then in the third overtime he makes a huge shot. That is Caleb Love. So ultimately he can get him there, and if they get to the Final Four, they're going to celebrate. I, I don't think Arizona can win the whole thing with Caleb Love being the guy because I just think he's too inconsistent. Well, and, and Rob, I, I think Keisha, Keisha Johnson is is really their X factor. I really believe that. And, 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 and you know, he was six for 15 today um, um, from the field. But I thought, and I think Carlson's really good for Utah. But, you know, if you watch, there was a late game, there was a late play there in the corner where Carlson shot the three and he missed it. He, and and Keisha had a hand, I mean, his he, and he was guarding him. He guarded Carlson on that. The difference, what I think makes Arizona and Tommy's teams, you know, this is his third year, but what makes Tommy's team successful this year is Keisha Johnson, just on the fact of, you know, their four men in, in his first two years have been able to score, but they haven't been able to defend. When I say defend, like they, they've been more of an inside defensively. And, and if you look at some teams that they struggled against, especially in the tournament, was when their their four men had who they were guarding really exposed them in some areas because you know they're really more were bigs in a sense. Where with with Kishad, he's Kishad, I keep calling Kishad, Kishad, um, um, he's able to switch. He can guard one through five. He's versatile, he's multi-dimensional, and I think he's their X factor. And and yes, Jeff, you're right about Caleb Love. I mean they need Caleb to be outstanding. And I thought Pella Larson's a really good player and he was really good. But but the X factor is Keisha Johnson, and just in the fact alone that that his ability to what he can do defensively. Obviously, he can do things offensively, but it's his ability defensively 
when they play against that team where their four or five is more of a small ball five or, or a four that's really a three or maybe even a two, you know, they can stretch the floor. Him being able to switch on those type of things where they haven't been able to really do that as much in Tommy's first two years makes Arizona much more um, – um, in, uh, much more of a way to have a set up in a way to to make the deep run this year, and and because they're going to be a high seed, but to advance deep into the tournament and possibly get to the final four. Yeah, so I'm going to disagree with both of you guys and say that I think Kai Boswell is actually the the key to this team because I think Arizona kind of goes as he goes, and I now have a theory, and I might be reading tea leaves a little bit too much. I might be reading a little bit too much into it, but late in the second half. Um, he had a little bit of a collision and went down holding his shoulder, right? And uh, what we've seen throughout the season is that when he plays well, that is when Arizona is at their best. And when he struggles and when he has really, really bad games and he can have some horrible games, um, then I, that's when Arizona goes on the road and takes some of these ugly losses. So I wonder if that shoulder's been bothering him all year because there wasn't a lot of contact that left him in that much pain. And he tried to come back in and he tried to play uh, and they ended up holding him out in the second overtime. I'm assuming because of the show, we haven't heard uh, Tommy talk about it yet, but I do wonder if that is something that is bothering him because he actually played well tonight. And since he had that horrible game at, uh, it was at Oregon state that they lost. He's been really, really good. The last four and Arizona's won all of the last four. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with Arizona. That's kind of where I'm at with Kai Boswell. And uh, I tend to agree with all of you guys. Listen, and, we're going to head to a break. From here. A, Go ahead, John. No, I was going to say, and you look at a game like this for Utah, which they're going to be mm -hmm. kicking themselves because yeah. to win this game would have probably – I mean, you talk about a win like this where it could set them up to, in the tournament. There, you look at the free throw line, 10 for 21 from the free throw line. I mean, that will drive a coach sick. Like literally a head coach, you'll be sick for days. You don't get over that tomorrow morning. You're sick for days because to to lose the game on really you make some free throws, you're winning the game, and and those things drive you up the wall. And and to win in the tournament, as you guys know, you those little those the as much of a little stat as that is, not turning it over, making free throws, those type of things are the difference between winning and losing when every possession is so important. Yeah, Utah at one point made seven straight threes. I think the first six of the first six yeah. threes that they took in the second half, they made and they found a way to lose this game. Listen, uh, we're going to step away for a second. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk to Yale head coach James Jones and break down some of the best mid-major teams in all of college basketball. What's going on, guys? Before we get back to the show, I need to let you all know about the Field of 68 Daily, an all-encompassing college basketball newsletter that arrives in your inbox, you guessed it, daily. For less than a dollar a week, you'll wake up every morning to more than 1,500 words detailing everything that you need to know to stay up to date on the world of college basketball. From the notable mid-major upsets to the stars that are out injured to the breakout performances that only our team of college basketball junkies watched the daily is edited and produced by mike miller who spent more than two decades running nbc's digital written content and is subscribed by more than half of the division one coaching staffs the biggest names in college basketball media and the agents that work as power brokers in the sport for just 50 dollars for the year you get access to the same information that the insiders get and before we get you back to your regularly scheduled Field of 68 content, let me tell you guys about the Field of 68 merch store. Head over to fieldof68.shop for officially branded Field of 68 apparel. Whether you're supporting your favorite team in the student section or from the couch, there is no better way to gear up than the latest from the Field of 68. The best thing I can say about our merch is the quality of the product. Anyone that has ever worn a t-shirt knows how frustrating it is when the neck gets all stretched out and the bottom of the shirt starts looking like the bottom of bell-bottom jeans. And there's nothing worse than a hoodie that loses its snugness that makes it such a perfect way to stay warm during the cold winter weather. Whether you're shopping for yourself or for the college basketball fan in your life, everything you need is at the Field of 68.shop. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Thursday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. Rob Doster, Jeff Goodman, Josh Pastner, and we are joined by Yale head coach James Jones, who is coaching uh, one of the better teams in the state of Connecticut. Look, James, I'm a Connecticut native, okay? I grew up just outside of uh, the city of New Haven. I went to North Haven High School. You know that I rep for my uh, my, my nutmeg state, and I am very happy that uh, we have another coach in the state that has been in uh, – playing great basketball this year you started out five and six you've won eight in a row you're tied for first place in the ivy league what kind of changed in the middle of the season how did you get on this winning streak we didn't play kansas and gonzaga on the road <laughs> i mean <laughs> that's, that's kind of hard to do but um for us uh you know we had four guys back that averaged double figures and we added danny wolf who is a special player to the starting lineup and I think at the beginning of the year, we were just trying to figure out who we were. And uh, we lost a really crazy game, which I'm sure you guys probably saw on, um, mm -hmm. on social media to Vermont, the game that's impossible to lose. But somehow we found a way to lose the game. And uh, that carried over into a home game against Fairfield where we're up by 10 with five to go. And uh, we liked a little trust in that game. So in any event, um, I think at, after that point, you know, when you hit rock bottom, sometimes that has to happen. You know, we kind of have become the team I thought we would be right now. And um, we're playing pretty well. And hopefully we can continue on and get a little bit better before the end of the year. So, James, when I was at practice before the start of the season, uh, Matt Elkin, your assistant, said to me, watch Danny Wolf. Watch this kid. And I'm like, who's Danny Wolf? And, and I looked at him and I'm like, really? That kid? You know, and, and he played about seven minutes a game last year as a freshman. Went to, I think, Northfield, Mount one of the prep schools in New England, you got him. And he has Northfield, made a yep. huge jump, like a huge jump. Like, you don't see this generally. What was it about him from last year to this year that that had you feeling like, hey, you know what, I can trust this dude? Well, you know, over the summer he played for uh, Israel in the, uh, the 20 and under nationals, the European games, and he led that tournament in rebounding and was second in scoring. And, uh, had his team in the championship game, and they had a chance to win it, and he actually missed a couple of free throws. Uh, but he played tremendously well throughout the tournament, blocking shots, rebounding, like just doing so many great things. And we knew who he was when we recruited him, that, that he was going to be a special guy. And that I told him that, you know, there was going to come a time uh, when you're playing at Yale and people are going to wonder, how in the world did you end up at Yale? Because he's that good. And and now, like, you know, all the sharks are in the water and, you know, they're all kind of called. Everybody's trying to throw him an NIL deal and try to poach him. And, you know, that's just the way college basketball works this year. But he's a really special player, uh, tremendous. And he'll, he'll play in the NBA. Uh, he's going he's gonna to get an opportunity at some point um, before he's all done to, to play in, you know, 10-day contract, you know, free agent contract, drafted, something. But he's going to have an opportunity to play in the NBA. Coach, <clears throat> Good to see you. Congrats on on your success this year and, and all your career. Two questions for you. Obviously, you got a huge game on Saturday with Cornell uh, for first place. Both your teams are undefeated in the Ivy League. If you could just expand on that game, just what you're thinking. You know, obviously Saturday, a lot of people have been thinking about other games, but one of the best games of that day is going to be you guys and Cornell. You got Cornell at home. Winner is in sole place of first place in the Ivy League. Um, and then the second question I have for you, you know, you've been at – Yale for 25 years, which is remarkable. And that's not a norm in, in today's game of head coaches. You know, guys like Izzo and some others like that have maybe done it, but that's you're, you're in the minority of that. The majority end up leaving after five, six years 
for whether they get let go or they just keep trying to move in, into the next job. Tell me about why you stayed, because I know you've had other opportunities. What's made you just want to be there for so long? Uh, what has attracted you to that to not be jumping to another job when I know you've had other opportunities? Just curious on that, on those two things. Well, first of all, big games, like, come on, you've done this a long time, right? So for me, um, you know, if we if we win on Saturday and then we lose our next two, yep. Saturday didn't mean much, right? So <laughs> it's just the next game and the next game, and we want to try to be our best. And, um, you know, obviously there's a lot on the line and, you know, sole possession of first place and all that. But really I'm just concerned about playing our best basketball and winning the game. You know, last year we started out like one and three in the conference and ended up winning the league. And as I said, we were one and three. And everybody's had us had us dead dead to the to the door, and you know we ended up you know ch turning that around, winning nine in the last ten games or something like that. So you know certainly uh, each game matters, and the next game is always the biggest one. So it should be a, a great game uh, in our building. We feel really good about our opportunity because we're playing at home, and you know we have a nice little uh, record at home, and so we feel pretty confident. But you know Cornell is a really good team, and. We're going to have to play well to win. You know, they, they're the leading offensive team in the, uh, in the conference in terms of uh, points scored, uh, in terms of the league game, we're the most efficient team. So it should be a good contrast between styles and, and a lot of fun to watch. So, if, Rob, you're a Connecticut guy. You need to certainly step up and watch this when they start rooting for the Bulldogs. Right? And in oh, terms I always root for the like, Bulldogs you know, coach. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> man, I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. At least that's what he tells me to my face. We'll see what happens when I hey, except <laughs> except when you beat Vassar's butt. All right, when you beat Vassar's yeah. butt, that might be a little different every year. But, that might yeah, be you didn't have tough. to be the piece of coach. <laughs> but let me go on your on the second part about the about you being at Yale for twenty five years and and what's made you stay there and when when you've had other opportunities to leave and you've decided to stay there. Where again, that's. It's not the norm in, in, in college yeah. basketball. And so I'm just curious on what's your thought process on that. I'm trying to figure that out too, Josh. Nobody likes me. I think <laughs> that's what it is. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not well liked outside of, outside of the friendly confines of the Payne Whitney gym. Um, like you would think that I've had a lot of opportunities given the success that our team has had, especially over the last 10 years, but really haven't had that many opportunities. I was offered a, a job at a, at a, um, on the West Coast and um, it just didn't make sense to go there uh, in terms of a lot of things. Our program was in a better place. Um, so I haven't had an opportunity that I would think that's better than Yale. Um, and and the, one of the reasons why I'm here um, is because the, the quality of the student athlete I get to coach and be around with every day is nothing short of tremendous. Um, today I had lunch with E.J. Jarvis, who was my starting center from last year. The man likes Yale so much that um, – you know, he turned down an NIL deal with Florida for 100K. He turned down uh, opportunity to work on Wall Street to make 150K to come on campus as an intern because he was he went through COVID and wasn't on campus for a year. And he felt like he lost a year of his life at Yale. And that's how special it was. So he's on campus right now working in a, as a fellow on campus. So it's just the uh, unbelievable place with unbelievable people. And it's hard to... To, to quantify that to someone that hasn't lived it. But the, the, the people that I'm around every day and the, and the young men I get to come into contact with, like Danny Wolf, for instance, he's like the biggest four-year-old in the country. He's seven feet tall, he weighs 270 pounds, and he's a four-year-old. And he and I, laugh, I like laugh at him every day about something. And, you know, that kind of thing is, is something that's extraordinary that, that moves you. And the best part about coaching, and, and Josh, I'm sure you'll – um, could understand this and, and think the same, that it's when your guys graduate and watch them grow in the lives they have once they, once they leave you. And I, I've been fortunate to have coached some, some brilliant people that have done great things with their lives and to watch them grow. My favorite time of the year is Christmas because I get uh, Christmas cards from all my guys and I see their family grow and my family grows with them. And that's just a wonderful way to live life and, and something to look back on that's pretty special. All right, James, I, I brought Jeff for the first time ever to New Haven to Pepe's to make sure he'd never had New Haven pizza before. So I got to put Damn, you on the spot. Where you this been? Be the where, most... you, where you been? Gee, where you been? He, he used know. to host a tournament in New Haven, too. He used to host a high school tournament in New Haven. He never had it. Yeah. This is the most important True. question you're ever going to answer, James. Pepe's, yeah. Sally's, or Modern? 
Well, I'm going to uh, listen. I got to be a little different here. Um, there's a place called the Brew Bar. It's on uh, it's on Crown Street. And um, we mm -hmm. take recruits there all the time. And it's sort of a rite of passage. When you come to New Haven, you have to experience New Haven pizza. So we always go there mm -hmm. for a meal. And my favorite pizza is um, is that. And let me tell you something about Sally's. This is a great story. So I go in there to pick up a pizza. This has got to be 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And as a dude putting the sauce on a pizza with his hands. Now, you know that in the oven is going to kill any germs, but I couldn't get by the dude putting sauce on the pizza with his, with his bare hand. I haven't been back to Sally's since. I'm like, peace, <laughs> peace on Sally's. I'm done. I can't, I can't go there. And uh, Pepe's is um, brilliant. It's wonderful. Martin's brilliant. It's all great stuff. It's like, you can't go wrong. And I'm from Long Island. I'm a New Yorker, right? And so mm -hmm. I'm a pizza snob. And like, you know, pizza in New Haven is tremendous. And, you know, it's hard to feel good about pizza outside the Northeast. Um, and then in New Haven and New York, it's just great stuff. And you can't go wrong with uh, Martin, Sally's or Pepe's. So the, the one thing I love about both of the Jones brothers and, and James's brother, Joe, his younger brother is the coach at Boston University, for those who don't know, is they don't know how to bullshit. They do not know. It's, again, the New Yorker in them. Uh, I have, I have two. I'm going to pull a Josh Pastner here and do what I was told never to do. Ask two questions. All right. I was, you know Number what? I was told is, to not do that. I was told not to do that in learning about never media, do and I did it. So I made a Correct. mistake. You're right. Don't ever yeah. do it. But since you did it, I'm going to do it. And I Number did it because one, I love, I love Coach. He's such a good coach, and he's such a good guy. And that's why I said I can get away with it. <laughs> All right. Number one, James. Who is the better looking Jones brother? Number one. I, I need to answer now. that right. Well, yeah. well, there's yes. several of us, but if you want to go between Joe and, and Joe and myself, the girls liked him more than they liked me, so he's got to be the better-looking brother. He had more girlfriends than <laughs> I All right, so all right. He had to be the better-looking brother. But I'll tell you a story around that, too, if you like to hear But go ahead. What's the next one? Go ahead. No, no, no. You go, and then I get the second one. Go ahead. All right, so, so when, when I was younger, right, um, I, we had the, I had this bike race against a kid down the street from me, and I had these big, thick, glasses on and i'm riding this bike and i'm going so fast that i push down on a pedal and the chain comes off and i hit the ground face first and i slide now my brothers who love me i have another brother john they're on the other down the street cracking up i chipped my front teeth i had cuts on my face i still have a, a, a um a scar on my my wrist and one on my shoulder from that accident at 11. right my teeth were chipped until I was 24 years old and paid for them for myself. So no one was kissing this snaggletooth back in the day. So Joe was definitely the better looking brother. Well, Joe, Joe also gave me a little dirt and uh, he told me to ask you the story. He said, he may not admit it, but the first, the story of the first time you went to play hoop when you were in like second and third grade, I think you forgot something. <laughs> uh, this dude is unbelievable. So, I'm all jacked up. I'm, I'm playing little league basketball for the first time. And my dad takes me to practice and I run in the car, I get there. He gets me to the gym. I don't have my sneakers. I got a pair of brown hush puppies. And like my dad was not going home to get my sneakers. There was no way he was turning around to go get my, so I had to practice in my hush puppies. So uh, Joe and my brothers and my sisters, they made fun of me for forever for that. And yeah, that's a memory I have uh, soon forgotten. Well, listen, James, it's always fun to catch up. It's always fun to have a Connecticut guy on here, and it's always fun to be able to talk with someone that understands how important it is to have good pizza in your life. You just got to make sure you got to call it Abits. <laughs> you got to say it like that. Abits, just like that. Abits, uh, best Abits, of luck the rest Abits. of the season. There you go. Best of luck the rest right, of the season. Uh, best of luck on Saturday, and uh, I really hope you can keep winning. It's not easy to do when you have Justin Simon and Matt Elkin on your staff. Best of luck this year, Coach. <laughs> you guys be good. Thanks, Take care. Great coming on with you. You too, man. Thanks, man. Take care. Um, all right, Josh, we got some breaking news here. Your uh, your FAU Owls went down on the road overtime, 76 wow. to 73 against UAB. We got about two minutes here uh, before we got to get to a break. But um, it's it has not been the smooth sailing season that I think a lot of us expected from Florida Atlantic this year, but they're also sitting in a place where they are. Let me make sure I have the season record right. 18 and five overall, and they are eight and two in the American still. 
What do you make of FAU, and um, are they still a threat to be able to make some noise in the NCAA tournament in your mind? Well, if you're asking me, I think I still think, and we were talking about this a little before off the air, FAU I think is probably a little bit um, – I don't want to say the word bored because that's not fair because, but, but obviously didn't went to the final four last year. They got the entire team back. They're really looking forward and thinking, okay, we got to get to the tournament. I said this about Purdue a couple weeks ago. Now they're in position to win the big 10, but I was like, everyone's talking about, but Purdue's got to win the, win the championship. But I'm like, Hey, right now they're not even first place of the, of the big 10. How about winning the big 10 championship? That matters winning a regular season championship. FAU, everyone's talking about the Final Four, Final Four, and I get it. It's the road to the Final Four. Everything's about the road to the Final Four. It's nothing about the road to the regular season champ, conference championship. Well, FAU, they need to get going because, you know, their goal, and I know Dusty May, he's got, his goal is to win that regular season. And, and so, you know, you start messing around, then when, as you guys know, you don't take care of business, and all of a sudden, look, they're going to be in the tournament. You start messing around on seeding, and and you really put yourself in a in a little bit of a hole on that. So, but, but I just Josh, think who wants to play them? But here's my take: like, let's say they're a ten seed. Do you really want to go up against FAU if you're like a seven? And does it matter? I guess is what I'm asking you. If they're a seven, a ten, a six, an eleven, does it really matter that much for them? I don't think it. No, no, no. You're, you're and you're right, Jeff. It's but it's not about them. It's not about their opponent. It's more about them in the first round game. Correct. So if yeah. you know yeah. if they're a ten seed, they're playing a seven. You know, and it's a harder game. Can if they they're flip a, it? If, can, if they're a nine, can they, yeah, can, they that, can they win that? For you know, if 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 they're a four or five, you have a better chance technically. You know, so, and look, everyone's good when you get to that point. Anything can happen, as we all know. But you know, you're putting yourself where it's more of a, a of a team that you have a greater chance to take an L against and not even get to the second weekend. So it's not about who they play. I agree. The opponents are like, man, this isn't fair. It reminds me of sort of like a couple of years ago or a few more than a couple of years ago, but when Kentucky had to play Wichita State in the round of 32 and Wichita State was undefeated, you know, and and like and so and so that and they end up beating Wichita State, but it's the same thing. People are saying that's unfair to Kentucky. People are gonna say the same thing about FAU in a sense that, man, this is gonna be a hard matchup for whoever it is, but but it's the more the first round game for Florida Atlantic. That it's not, you know, it's more about them. Can they get, you know, who they play that first round game is not going to be a, a gimme. And, 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 you know, where if you're a higher seed, you're probably playing a non-Power 5 team and you should maybe overpower them talent-wise and then get see what happens from there. But this, the way they're going with some of these losses, I don't know if that would be the case. Yeah, Josh, you said something there that was really important and really resonated with me. Regular season championships matter, okay? Absolutely. For FAU. Drops them a game out of first place behind South Florida. Amir Abdul-Rahim, they're sitting there at 9-1. and one. They have won 14 of their last 15 games. FAU, South Florida, they will play on Sunday, February 18th in Tampa um, in a game that could end up determining who wins the American Conference Championship. We got to give credit to these regular season champions when we can. When we come back, we are going to talk about the best teams in the country, and we're going to tell you who will be able to beat them. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. 
When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. Welcome back to the Thursday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. Rob Doster, Josh Pastner, Jeff Goodman. We are live on Sirius XM Channel 84. We are streaming over on Stadium in the brand new Stadium app. Make sure you go and check that out and download it for absolutely free. Free 99. There's nothing better than free uh, 99. All right. This is the segment I've been looking forward to the most tonight, guys. We have a list of some of the best teams in college basketball. We're going to try to get to as many as six of them. We'll see how long this conversation part goes. Uh, but I want to talk about the worst potential matchups. I want to talk about the teams that could end up picking off some of the best teams in college basketball in the second round, maybe in the Sweet 16. We're going to start with UConn, the reigning champions, the number one team in the country. Fun fact, guys. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but we it's been since 2016 that a reigning national champion has gotten out of the first weekend. And the last time that a reigning national champion made it past the Sweet 16 was in 2007 when Florida repeated as national champions that's what UConn is looking forward to I'd say they're probably going to lose in the second round or the sweet 16 of this tournament so we'll go to you Josh first who is the team that could end up upsetting them who do you like what's the matchup well and I want to say I want to tell you the team and in, and that's in a crazy that's an amazing and crazy stat that you just shared with everybody I mean when you think about it um, yeah. however it's so different now in college basketball where maybe in the past after teams have won most teams they would lose their guys to the pros or whatever, and you didn't, you couldn't go get guys in the transfer portal. You had to go get high school kids or whoever was available in the spring. You know, until just recently, uh, but now because of the portal and different things, you can reload in a hurry, uh, which obviously UConn's done. But the one team that I think, if any of those top seeds, and I think Purdue and UConn are a lock to be one and two, the top two seeds, and and I think you know obviously the the other seeds are still to play out, but whoever the top four seeds are. The team that I would not want to face in the round of 32 or possibly even the Sweet 16 would be Iowa State. I think they're a dangerous team defensively. You know, I don't think they have a real star on their team, but when you watch them play and what they do defensively, I just think they can cause you all kinds of problems. And they're one of those games where they just they junk it up against you. And when I say junk it up, just make it really tough for you to score. You get frustrated. You're, you know, they're just kind of beating you up. And all of a sudden, it just becomes tight. It's 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 seven minutes to go in the game, six minutes, five minutes. It's a back and forth, four points difference here or there. The crowd starts cheering in the stadium for against you as a top seed. And all of a sudden, those things type of happen. So, you know, again, depending on where Iowa State lands, I mean, obviously, if they're a top seed, but I think in the end, they're going to, you know, they're going to be in that range of could be anywhere between four and, you know, four and six, I would think. And and all of a sudden, you know, you, you know, you're facing one of those guys, you know, maybe in the Sweet 16, and just and they and you know, and they just knock you out because you just can't get by them because of the their ability to defend. Yep, Goodman. You know, I, I don't know the exact team. Like, I'll say this: like, it's got to be a team that can take advantage of their maybe lack of of athleticism with Spencer and Caravan. I think that's that's the biggest thing to me. And then defensively, a team that can kind of switch everything on them. I, I don't know who it is. Maybe Illinois. But I just – again, I don't love Illinois' point guard situation. So, so I, I have – I have four things written down. There's you you nailed two of the things you got to be able to do. There's there's basically four things that you have to do to beat UConn. You got to have a four man that can attack Alex Caravan. That's kind of the yep. the I think the one weak spot is he's not a great individual defender. He's fine, but he's not great. So if you got a four guy that can attack him, that's big. You need a five man that's going to be able to get Donovan Klingon in foul trouble because Donovan Klingon has a tendency to jump at pump fakes, and if you get him in foul trouble, it completely changes them defensively. You can't rely on ball screens. They are in the 98th percentile in defending ball screens, according to Synergy, and you need guards that can get to the basket because they don't have – if you can get Klingon out, they don't really have rim protection, and they don't have guards that can stay in front of you. 
I don't know if there's necessarily a team in the like seven to ten seed range right now that that checks those boxes, but I have three in the Sweet 16 that I think could cause UConn a lot of problems. One of them you mentioned, Go Goodman, is Illinois. They can switch everything defensively. Coleman Hawkins can pull people yeah. away from the basket. Terrence Shannon is going to get to the basket. Marcus Domas can get Domas. to the basket. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Alabama, because of the way they can spread you out and the fact that all they want to do is be able to get to the rim or shoot threes. I think that their style matches up really well. And then Auburn, because Jalen Williams and Janai Broom, I think, might be the best four or five combo to be able to go at UConn's front line. So those are the, the three. Smaller guards. Do you, do you- do you like mm-hmm. those smaller guards against UConn? I know they can get they can get in the seams a little bit, but that was the only thing that worried I me. About. I thought have about all. Smaller. Yeah. smaller guards can make it work. To me, it's more Janai Broom can get clinging into foul trouble, and Jalen Williams can take advantage of yeah. Caravan at the four. Um, all right, let's move on. Next, Purdue. Goodman, we're going to you first on this one. Who can beat Purdue? I think that there's one very obvious blueprint that you can follow in terms of matchups. Um, FDU can beat him. I know that. Um, I don't know who can beat him this year. Well, but it's true. Like, like to be honest, who can beat Purdue? Whoever is going to face him in the first round in that one sixteen can beat him because it's going to be in their heads. That's who can beat Purdue. After that, I think it's going to be smooth sailing to the final four for Purdue. I think they're that good. But again, you're going to need a team that's going to take advantage of Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer defensively, even Lance Jones. Uh, he's older, he's he, he's strong and athletic, but he's not 6'5". So I think you need these big, strong, athletic guards that are going to be able to take advantage of Purdue. And obviously, if you can get a big that can put Edie in ball, like obviously he's going to be in drop coverage, so you need a big that's going to be able to pull him away from the basket and make him uncomfortable. Who is that? Yeah, again, I don't know exactly who that's going to be, but that's the blueprint. How you're going to beat Purdue? Yeah, you know, Josh, Rob, I was going and just a quick touch on UConn. The way Stefan Castle shooting the ball as of late, like mm-hmm. that makes them so much. You know, because that was probably one area. And Stefan Castle's a pro prospect, obviously, and he's a really good player. But his lack of three-point shooting, you could you could just back off of him and not guard him, and you could help in other areas. If the way he's shooting the ball as of late, that that changes the, the dynamics of UConn, where you almost have to now guard. You just can't give them dare shots. you got to guard all over the floor. That's a change for them. And then the second part, whether it's Purdue, UConn, or whomever, you know, and I go back to Iowa State, and I don't know who exactly on even on Purdue. I'm telling you, in the tournament, when you get stuck and you can't score and you know that the entire season it's – it's literally on the line for that game. It's like being in the Olympics. It's you work, you train for all four, you know, for four straight years and, and, and you have one shot at it. And you're so you're in a round of 32 or a sweet 16 game because so much is put about going to the final four and you go in a stretch where you're not able to score the ball. The tightness that everybody gets, it's not easy. And, and you know, you look at UConn last year, I mean, Last year they went through with a no they had no stress the whole year. I mean they just steamrolled everybody. I mean there was one year where Florida did that when they went on one of their championship runs. They steamrolled everyone. That's not the normal. That's not the norm. Usually you're going to have one stress game where it, you have to get through it. And and so I always think it's teams and I agree with Jeff. I just don't I I I think Purdue I don't know if you can say they're a lock but I would be hard-pressed to find that they're not in the Final Four this year. I just think they're so good. They're older. Zach Eady does not foul. He's in great shape. He makes free throws. Lawyer and Smith are so much better than they were last year. The addition of Lance Jones has made him that much better just athletically. So I don't know who can get Purdue, but whoever's going to get Purdue, it's got to be one of those things where they're just it – was. it's a game where it's just tight. They can't score, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's it's they feel it, and they just kind of tighten up, and they don't get the job done. I don't know if it's a particular team that can do it to to Purdue. I think Purdue and UConn are about as clear favorites to getting to the Final Four as maybe we've had in the last four or five years. Unless there's, I just think those two teams. I just don't see into right now for this year of college basketball. I don't know if. Those two teams cannot not get to the Final Four this year. I, I just think they're they're head and shoulders better than everybody. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with with that sentiment. Um, 
I do think that if you are built similar to how Northwestern is built, where you got some guards that can shoot it and a point guard that can really attack that drop, uh, you can you can beat them. So the teams that I wrote down for that, Colorado State, Isaiah Stevens, absolute stud, maybe the best point guard in the country. And they got some bigs that can space it out a little bit. Um, I think Butler, DJ Davis, I, I did not realize this until I started uh, looking too deep into stats on Synergy, but he's one of the best ball screen point guards in the country who also happens to be able to really shoot it, who also happens to be used over and over and over again in ball screen. So that one kind of checks the box for me. And then Baylor, just with the way that that Scott can go ball screen after ball screen after, and there's like five different guys that can beat you in that system. Um, the last one that I'll mention, who is uh, the FDU on steroids this year? New Mexico. Got a bunch of little guards. They can climb up under you. They force turnovers. They want to get up and down the floor. So uh, if you end up getting New Mexico in the second round, if you are Purdue, I would not be happy about that. All right, Pastner, we're going to you. UNC, how do you beat them? Who's the tough matchup? And you are not allowed to say Clemson because Clemson is too obvious <laughs> of an answer. No, no, no. Well, here, here's I think with with UNC and, and, and just a couple teams just come off the top of my mind. But just in, I think for UNC, I think their whole things have to come down defensively. I mean, R.J. Mm-hmm. Davis can score it, who I think he's probably ACC player of the year to this point. And I think that, uh, um, uh, you know, obviously Baycott's a double-double machine. But, you know, I, I think, again, for, for North Carolina, I think if I was them, anyone that's, that's similar, and it's, not, it's similar to Virginia. And I'm telling you, don't sleep on Virginia right now. I think they're going to – the way they're playing, they, I think they might end up passing Duke and Carolina and could win the ACC champ, regular season championship. But I say all that I say if they had to play Virginia in the in the tournament, I think they would give them problems. And there's a second team, so I think Virginia for sure would give North Carolina problems. And a second team that's not a Power Five team would be Indiana State, assuming they're you know they continue to win out and win and and win their and win their uh, tournament if they're not going to get in that large. They play five out the way they pass and cut and move and shoot the ball, they'll force Baycott and Ingram have to be on the perimeter so they just can't sit by the basket. They can do different things. Now, listen, they'd be playing Indiana State in a round of 32. You know, they're not going to play them in the first round, but in a round of 32 game or, you know, unless Carolina lost some more and it's three, you know, maybe if Indiana State was seeded a lower seed, but assuming Indiana State keeps winning, they're going to be in that maybe that 8-9 game possibly because they could end up having 30 wins when it's all said and done, 28, 29 wins, and they put them in an 8-9. Sort of that, sort of similar to that Wichita State-Kentucky deal. And I think the way they play, it's a hard guard. Sort of same thing for Purdue, because you have to bring – you start bringing your big out, and because their five is really their point guard. And and that would cause them uh, uh, some problems. And the last team I just want to say on, on that I think would cause North Carolina some issues just because of the way they play – would be Nebraska. If they had to see Nebraska, because they're five, again, it's their five man with 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 Rink Mast. The way again, he's playing, he's really their point guard. He's playing at the top. They, everything runs through him. He's literally their point guard in the stuff that he does. He's not a flying around above the rim athlete, but you ha- North Carolina has to bring Baycott and those guys away from the basket, which again I think could give could give them could give them problems. I'm here for the Kizi Tomanaga NCAA tournament run. Um, Goodman, the two teams that I had written down, I think you need big guards if you are going to be able to yes. beat uh, North Carolina, yes. big physical That's guards. That's what I wrote down. you got to be tough yep. inside, and you got to be able to control the tempo. So the two teams that I wrote down, one of them, South Carolina. I think South Carolina is yeah, going to end too. up like on the 5 yep. Good one. call. So that'll Good be call. a 16 yeah. one The other one, I'm going off script with Good. this, Washington State. They control tempo. They defend. they got a really good big point guard in Miles Rice. That's the third one that I had written down for North Carolina. I got one one other team that you know you know who Carolina doesn't want to see, Arizona, because of Caleb Love. <laughs> that would be it. All right, real quick, let's, <laughs> let's let's roll through let's roll through Arizona real quick, Goodman. You got about thirty seconds. Talk to me. What's the the matchup there that that Arizona doesn't want to see? Um, you know, I'm trying to think of who Arizona doesn't want to see. I didn't. I didn't do this research like you did, Rob. I didn't spend a ton of time. I was busy watching this Arizona game. All right, then. Tonight. And how about this? I'm gonna uh, no, I'm I, gonna pitch this one to Josh. All right, ready? Yeah. So I think you. I don't think Arizona 
wants to sit there and guard, right? So I think if you can kind of control possession, you might be able to win. I think Caleb Love can get, can get out of control a little bit, and I think that you can exploit Umar Balo. So I'm stealing your pick for North Carolina, and I'm saying Indiana State is the team that can pick them off. You can pull Balo away from the basket with the big homie Ravi Adela, and I think that they have enough guards to be able to give them problems. The other one, I don't think Arizona wants to see Kentucky. Go ahead, Josh. What do you think? About no, that, those are two good. Those are two good teams, and 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 Robbie with Indiana State can flat out play. And you're right on that. It's it's the same similar thing with Carolina. You got to bring out the bigs, and that's where they struggled last year with Princeton, if you recall. Mm-hmm. You know the way they got hurt on some of those cuts and the back doors and five out. But you know, the difference again for Arizona this year is Keisha Johnson just on his ability to switch, and they can maybe go small if they have to, and do different things. But I think Kentucky's a team that. They're not going to want, you know, not to. I don't think who wants to see Kentucky in the tournament, you know, because you don't know what's going to the Kentucky team that played at Vanderbilt or the Kentucky team that defended against Tennessee. You don't know who's showing up. If the, if that's the right Kentucky team that we all think, I mean, they're good enough to go to the Final Four. You just you just got to get. They just got to be that team that gets hot. And I don't think they're going to be one of those top one or two seeds unless they reel off a bunch of wins and win the SEC tournament. Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, last thing I'll say, Tennessee. Goodman, here's my prediction. St. Mary's picks him off in the second round. That's the perfect matchup. When we come back, we're going to hear from our Rocco Miller and help us break down a potential bracket. Big news, guys. I am thrilled to announce that we have partnered with Autograph, a company founded by the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best college hoops content, fan contests, and exclusive rewards like discounted tickets, all for doing the things that diehard fans like you already do, following your favorite team in the news and listening to podcasts just like this one. When Tom, and yes, I am calling him Tom, we're on a first-name basis these days, co-founded Autograph. He had one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. It works like this. You get all of your college hoops content you want in one place. You get articles from your favorite writers, pods from your favorite hosts, contests from your favorite creators, all on the feeds and the sites that you already enjoy. But instead of having to go to all these different places, it all comes to you in one spot, the autograph fandom map. But here's the best part. The more content that you consume, the higher you rank in the app. As you consider the level up in status on the app, you can unlock unique rewards curated exclusively for you. So download the free autograph app in the app store and use the referral code F68. That's F68 or tap in at the link in the description below or in the podcast app of your choosing to start earning points for doing something as normal as listening to this very podcast. It really is that simple. Welcome back to the Field of 68 After Dark, the Thursday edition. And we are joined by Rocco Miller, who, as you can see, is live in the Huntsman Love Center it. in Utah. He had just seen the, uh, the the 3OT thriller between Arizona and Utah. And you know what, Rocco? Um, let's start with this. The Utes, Goodman doesn't think that they're, they have a very good chance of getting to the NCAA tournament. He I never said that. Their hopes. <laughs> Talk to me about Utah. Talk to me about where yeah. they are right now in the uh, in the bracketing kind of picture. Yeah, so right now, you know, coming into the week, they're about an 8-9 range seed, depending on, you know, what the committee depends to do, decides to do with their performance metrics. They're strong in those areas. But the reality is, when it comes to selection, you've got to be able to win away from home. And that's one of Utah's weakest areas right now. They're three and seven in road neutral games and one in four in their biggest true road games. Unfortunately, that one win is at St. Mary's and St. Mary's has the longest winning streak in the country right now at 11. And that's really just aged like a fine wine lately. Um, but beyond that, you know, there's not enough meat yet on the bone to be, feel secure. Tonight's win would have been, and I just talked to Craig Smith, it would have been like a hammer on the coffin uh, kind of feeling around here. And now, you know, they got to hurry up and recover from a triple overtime loss and play again in, in less than 48 hours. Rocco. Josh. Uh, yep. Good, good to have hey, you Josh. on, Rocco. Great stuff with your with your with uh, with the tournament stuff there, with the bracket. So the ACC, you have four teams in currently. In the Pac-12, you have two. Am I right on that? That's correct as of this moment. 
So I, my question is, with the ACC, do you see a scenario where, and again, there's still a month to go, a little more than a month to go, them getting, you know, in the end, I think they'll get more than four, but do you see them getting to six? Do you see them getting to seven, or do you think there's a cap? I'm just curious your thoughts on that. And obviously with the Pac-12, hey, Rocco, do you think Rocco, Josh, Josh once put all 15 ACC teams into the tournament. <laughs> I remember that, Josh. I'm glad we can reconnect here. Bill, Wal- Bill Walton wanted to put, all, wanted to put seven, all, about 10 teams of the Pac-12 in. So, um, yeah. so and, then, and then regarding the Pac, like where do you see the Pac as well too? So I'm trying to see on the ACC, two pa- Power 5 conferences, you know, where do you see both of them as in terms of their kind of their – ceiling you know not including someone stretches out and wins an automatic qualifier in the conference tournament just more of the at large right yeah so the acc today you know you have two protected seed range teams of course north carolina and duke's in that range and that's great for the rest of the league because anybody that gets to play them like clemson just went to uh, chapel hill and got that huge win clemson you already had a really good foundation that win pretty much starts to solidify their place that would yeah. give a third team for the league. Again, it, it, as, as the season plays out with you know about eight games left per team, they have a bunch of these teams kind of just off the bubble, close to the bubble. They need to get bites of those apple, uh, at, you know, whether it's Duke's apple or, or North Carolina's or now Clemson. That will help those teams, of course, get more key wins at the top of their resume. And I think realistically, just playing out all the remaining games, you know, a fifth is certainly realistic. Virginia's become a much more solid fourth team. But again, Virginia still has holes. You know, they, they still need to do a little bit more on the road. That road win at Clemson was huge, but they still have a losing road record in some of the, the key areas. So Virginia is not all the way safe, but they're a solid fourth for right now. And then you got a boatload of teams right there on the cusp, whether you want to go with Wake Forest. Uh, you know, Miami's still kind of floating around there. You've got uh, NC State, maybe interesting. Pittsburgh's got that big win at Duke, but they just they took terrible losses in non-conference. I don't think they have a, enough time to recover from that. Um, but again, if some of those teams that are just floating around uh, start winning road games at those top three teams, whether it's Carolina, Duke, or Clemson, that's how we get into a scenario where you have a fifth and perhaps even a sixth. I do not think there's an angle to get a seventh. There's just not enough opportunities across the board. Uh, but for the league to get at least get that fifth, you want to see one of those bubble teams take off and, and just kind of solidify it. Um, as it pertains to the Pac-12, yes, they're in a weird spot uh, because there's two teams in. It's the two teams that were here tonight, Arizona and Utah. Um, so that they're safe for right now. Uh, and you have Oregon and Colorado who are also playing tonight. And you have Washington State. Uh, actually, Washington State's now in the field. I, I misspoke there. So there's a third team. But team. Washington State's got a schedule ranked 305th, Josh. And um, if they're anywhere near the cut line, it's going to be super easy for the committee to leave them out. So Washington State has to keep winning to, to stay. So uh, anyway, right. sorry, do you have another question? I got no, one go for ahead, you, Jeff. Rocco, that, that, that's more um, based. Here's my question. What do yep. you think the committee members use the most in terms of metrics? Like what have you talked to some of the committee members? Do you over the yep. years? And like, are they leaning more on Ken Palm? Are they leaning more now on the net? What are the things that you think, and maybe you're guessing, that you you think they use? So every committee member I've had the pleasure to either interview or talk to behind the scenes uh, is an entirely different process than that. I know the metrics are now on the team sheets. So you can see the BPI and the Ken Palm for performance. The net is basically performance as well. And then you have the strength of resume, SOR, and KPI as your resume-based metrics. But the way I've always kind of leaned in and heard and, and copied my process to follow is you go through everything else first. You look at their records by quadrant. You look at their non-conference rate of schedule. You look at their road record. You, you look at the specific teams they played and how they did. It's going to sound so cliche and boring, Jeff, but the reality is every year when you hear that committee chairman get interviewed and he says, where did you go? Who did you play? How did you do? It really is always that foundation. So then at the end of the day, Jeff, whether you're at the the bubble level, the highest level of the bracket, or in the middle somewhere, you're still just comparing teams. And you might need those metrics at the end of those ties or close to ties to make your decision. So they do have importance, but it's not the end all be all. And And I don't like it when bracket forecasters just look at a metric and say, okay, they're better. There's so much more work that goes into it than that. All right, Rocco, last thing I got for you. Um, yeah. 
of all these mid majors that have had some big wins, the the App States, the McNeese States, the Grand Canyons, the Indiana States, who has an actual chance of being able to get an at large bid at the end of the day? Yeah, good question. I think Indiana State today is best positioned because they're you know they're playing so well. Their resume metric is seventeenth, and it's impossible to compare like an Indiana State or a Grand Canyon or a Princeton or a James Madison to any power six level team. So you have to look at some of those other areas where it is a fair fight. So if you have a resume in the top 20, there's no way the committee can really leave them out. Uh, again, Indiana State's going to still have to win on a supreme level to, to be in this position a month from now. Uh, but for that reason, they are the strongest. Grand Canyon has the big win over San Diego State, so they actually have one piece of evidence that Indiana State doesn't have, a win against a solid tournament team. Um, so those two are, are definitely far and away the leaders. Indiana State, the best resume, and Grand Canyon has the marquee win. Rocco, appreciate the time, my man. This has been the Field of 68 After Dark. We're heading over to the last call on the brand-new stadium app. We'll see you over there answering every question you ask us.